Hi, and welcome to Oro Valley Catholic, and I'm Father John Arnold. This week is Pentecost. You know, Pentecost is a harvest festival from the Old Testament. At Pentecost, the harvest is the church. The story of the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and our Blessed Lady at Pentecost also reveals something about the interior life of God and our participation in that life through grace. Our faith is in one God, three divine persons, a triune God who invites us to participate in divine life. Through the Holy Spirit, we participate in that life of the triune God. Being good is not enough. It's ultimately, it's not the end point of religion. Salvation is the end point. Salvation is the life of grace poured out on us in the sacraments, most especially confirmation. And we experience this grace in our growth in wisdom, the moral life, the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And that's why religion is more than just about being good. It's fundamentally about the life of grace. And it's through the sacraments and the life of the church that grace comes to us. So at Pentecost, the nature of God is revealed for our benefit. We respond to that grace, body and soul, and we try to grow in understanding, prayer, and participation in divine life. God allows us to see something of the divine interior life of God in today's feast. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are wisdom and understanding, prudence or good counsel, fortitude, courage, we'd say more commonly, knowledge of God, piety, which is appropriate reverence for God and those things that we should hold sacred, and fear of the Lord, which is wonder and awe in God's presence. The fruits of these gifts of the Holy Spirit are what fuels our increase in charity, the sense of joy, which is a much more fundamental thing than most people's sense of happiness. The fruit of peace of mind about what our lives are and where they go, patience, especially with God and one another. Uh, the importance of kindness, the fruit kindness and goodness and generosity gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and that very underrated fruit of the Holy Spirit, chastity. In your life, as I think in mine, these are all gifts and fruits that are in process because it's grace that gives the growth. Too often we focus on our failings, at least as we see them. When we look at the grace-filled life described in scripture and the faith of the church, we ought to see who we're supposed to be. Which is more important to you as a human being? Do you want a complete catalog of everything you've screwed up in your life? Or would you rather have a roadmap to where all this is going? You know, God can't change our past. He can change how we understand the past and the good that he pulls out of us. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because without that, all you have in your life is all the regrets and missed opportunities. With the Holy Spirit, you see how those regrets, those missed opportunities, actually are what will complete your life. You know, a complete catalog of everything we've screwed up in our life is really not the way to salvation. 
the Holy Spirit is. So to live the life of the Holy Spirit is to be open to the life-giving triune God present in this world. And thus we receive an enduring image of who we can be in life that always beckons us into this deeper relationship with God. In order to love God and to go to God, you have to see that it's relationship with God that we lack. So today I wanna to talk about the triune God, the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, and the life we're preparing for in heaven. This is Oro Valley Catholic. You know, uh, since last week's Feast of the Ascension and continuing through the Feast of Corpus Christi two Sundays from now, we're gonna continue to talk about the Trinity because it's when we talk about the revelation of God, we're talking about the life of the Trinity and why it's important for us to understand that this is what the Catholic life is directed towards, union with God. Now, the only way that we can speak meaningfully about God is through the use of analogies. God is a blinding light. We can't see God. Analogical illustrations, however, can give us some idea about God based on his revelation in scripture. And as importantly as that, also warn us off from the false notions of the divine that'll just pervert how we live our Catholic faith and the dogma of the church. That's why the church very jealously guards um, the theology of the Trinity. So here's an analogy that's become kind of uh, popular in recent times, and it's to compare the Trinity to a human family. The image of the Trinity as a human family was recently popularized in the light of St. John Paul II's theology of the body. Father and son make sense in that analogy of the, holy, of the human family, but the analogy is misleading if you see the Holy Spirit as mom. Father is dad, son is Jesus, that makes sense. But if you see the Holy Spirit as mom, what you've introduced in the Catholic dogma is the idea of gender in God. Father is not male, son is not male in the sense that we think about it. Jesus took on a human body, the recreation, right? The regeneration of the new Adam. But Mary is the new Eve in humanity. But God, the God incarnate, does not have gender. Um, the God who is incarnated in Christ, God himself is not gendered. So the problem of the analogy of the Trinity is that it invites gender into this uh, discussion of Catholic dogma. Uh, the human family is an analogy from the Trinity, for the Trinity. It's attractive to our way of thinking and illustrates a theological truth in a limited sense. God adopts us as his children. And in our Trinitarian theology, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son in love. So mothers, this is the thing, it's not just that there's no gender, but mothers are not the result of the love between father and son, at least not in my family. Mom existed before I did. And so it doesn't really work with how we understand the Trinity. So it's not just gender, it's just the idea of the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father uh, and the Son into the world. So the idea of comparing the Trinity to a human family uh, really just has some misleading elements to it. So here's a different analogy. And this one is one offered by St. Augustine. 
Here's the analogy. God is love. So there's a lover, a beloved, and then there's love itself. You know, the scripture teaches us the, that God is love. That's in 1 John chapter 4. And so it's not just that God loves us, but God is what love means. And love is relational. Father, Son, love, lover, and beloved, the Holy Spirit, the love shared between them. That's actually a pretty good analogy. And St. Augustine uh, first proposed it back in, I guess, the 5th century, the 4th century. Um, and so the Trinity in this analogy is not divided into three parts. Remember, you can't dissect God into three parts. That was the problem with St. Patrick's shamrock that can be pulled apart into three parts. Because if you think about it, without a beloved, there could be no such thing as a lover. And without love, neither beloved nor lover could exist. Neither could love. Therefore, the idea of the Trinity is inseparable and indivisible is maintained by this analogy. There is a certain ordering within the three, according to this analogy. As the lover must love first, but there is also a simultaneous nature to this analogy. Since love and the beloved exist as soon as the lover begins loving and the lover loves eternally, well, it works pretty well because the Son, the Holy Spirit, can't exist unless God loves, God the Father loves, and he eternally loves, which makes the beloved Jesus, the Holy Spirit, uh, love itself as co-eternal with God, which is part of our theology. So it's kind of an interesting way from our interior life, our experience of love, to um, have an idea of how God is. So perhaps the most compelling part of this analogy is that it's not one of three people in love exactly, but that love has an inherent threeness to it. This aspect of the analogy helps us to understand God because God is not merely a trinity of persons who have communion amongst themselves, Rather, the three persons are a communion of love. They, they are because they are love. So the weakness of this analogy, however, is that, as sometimes is pointed out, that when you say that the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son, it's easy to understand how the Father can be a person. It's easy to understand how the Son can be a person. But wow, that's a really different idea that love itself, the Holy Spirit, is a person. But maybe what it does is it preserves the absolute mystery of God and what it means to be a person. By the way, there's a great book on this by Elizabeth Klein, you can get it at Amazon, God, What Every Catholic Should Know, published by um, Ignatius Press. And so there's a couple analogies of God, lover, beloved, and love, or God is human family and their strengths and weaknesses. So what does that have to do with the Feast of Pentecost? And that's what we'll turn to now. So Pentecost is about the descent of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of Easter, if you remember about, what, seven weeks ago, the Gospel of Easter said that when Jesus appeared to the apostles in the upper room three days after he had been died and was buried and now he's risen from the dead, he comes to them and it, the Gospel of John says, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on the disciples on Easter as God the Father breathed on the pile of mud that he would name Adam in Genesis. Jesus does what God the Father does. That's why he says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. They do the work of God. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, who lived, I guess, in the fourth century, said that Jesus' action was a kind of anticipation of what would happen at Pentecost. In other words, what is given to the apostles then as power was this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that would continue to grow. And at Pentecost, they were ready to launch. It says something about our growth in the human spirit, it's in, the, in the Holy Spirit. It's not instantaneous, but it's something that we stay engaged in, we study like the apostles studied, and we're ready for mission. So keep that in mind as we talk about the story of Pentecost. So here's a few questions that you should probably have. Well, here's one. Number one, on what day did the first Pentecost occur? Ah, that's kind of a trick question. Pentecost was a Jewish feast uh, 50 days after Passover. It was the celebration of the 50th day after the offering of the sheaf during Passover. Pentecost, as a feast, predates the birth of Jesus Christ. Passover was a huge pilgrim festival in Jerusalem during the first century, but it was followed seven weeks later by the Feast of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is basically means 50 days. So seven weeks of seven days is 49 days, right? The 50th day is the Feast of Pentecost. And so basically in the Jewish calendar, it was a harvest festival. It's a festival remembrance. And what Passover celebrated, remember, was the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. So 50 days later, the Jews celebrated the arrival of the Israelites after they crossed through the Red Sea at Mount Sinai in the desert and the reception of the law, that is the Ten Commandments. That's recounted in Exodus 19 and 20. The story told in Acts of the Apostles occurs on this feast day, 50 days after Passover in about the year 33 AD, give or take a couple of years. Now, you need to remember that in that reception of the law at that mountain in Sinai, that God descended in a cloud of smoke and fire when he gave the law to Israel at that mountain in Sinai. Now, that's the essential background for the story of Pentecost as told in the Acts of the Apostles. They tell it this way because the apostles are Jews and they remembered what happened at Mount Sinai. So that leads us to the second question. Number two, why does the Holy Spirit descend upon the apostles and our blessed lady, I would point out, in tongues of fire? So in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So if you remember, at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, uh, gentle and swift, not in tongues of fire. Because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, are part of the Trinity. This is something about their interior life. 
So why did the Holy Spirit descend upon the apostles in tongues of fire? Well, number one, we're not part of God's interior life at this point. It's pretty obvious if you read the Old Testament because that's how God descended on Mount Sinai in the time of the Exodus. But there was a prophet after that, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, who talks about this law giving and says that a new covenant is coming. Listen to what Jeremiah says. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is the banishment of Israel to Babylon. I will place my law within them and write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. There's going to be a new covenant, a new God. But instead of written on tablets of stone, the law is going to be written in the human heart. The law is going to be written into the consciousness of the apostles. It's that law is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's that little twitch upon a thread that's in every Catholic that you can never really be at peace if you're not at peace with God. You know, here's an interesting fact. Our blessed lady's in that upper room when all this occurs. She experienced the Holy Spirit as overshadowing her like a cloud on the day that she conceived the Lord. That's in Luke chapter one. God's glory, this is his glory cloud, what in Hebrew is called the Shekinah, is always represented by a cloud or by fire. Well, for instance, remember the burning bush that Moses encountered in Exodus or the glory cloud that descended on the temple Solomon built uh, in 1 Kings? Cloud and fire are the visible manifestations of the glory of God. And so they are in the story today. You know, the Israelites were led through the desert in Exodus and all of the Torah by a pillar of cloud in the day and at night by a pillar of fire. We are led by our consciousness, conscience, that's infused with the grace of the Holy Spirit so that our, um, I have talked about this before, our, uh, our moral virtues infused with grace are directed towards a new end, not just some semblance of happiness in this world, but eternal life. Grace is the way that we participate in the triune life of God, the difference between actual virtues and uh, acquired virtues rather and infused virtues. Why is it important to think about God the right way? Now, this is it, and this is how people think about God. For a Catholic, God is not a tyrant who stands at a distance, shouting out his angry commands and enforcing them by lightning bolts to the rear end. Instead, it's his gentle voice that keeps calling us. That's why I tell people in confession. This voice of condemnation, that is never God's voice. God's voice is like a dove that descends upon us and pulls us uh, out of ourselves. God's Holy Spirit is sometimes experienced as burning shame when we do wrong. Aren't these a great way of understanding God? Our lives aren't our own. We can't tune out the voice of God uh, and be happy. We can't give... Uh, power to the voice of Satan or the voice of condemnation. The life of grace is our participation in this gentle, loving life of God. Hey, if the fruits of the Holy Spirit are gentleness, patience, kindness, all of this stuff, and that's the life of God, why would God 
bully you because it's just so inconsistent with the values that he's teaching. And so what we're learning about God and participation in God gives us the grace to understand our own interior life. You know, the Holy Spirit's not wearing a disguise when he comes down on, the, on, the, uh, on Jesus or on the apostles. In these images, we are learning something true about the nature of God. So what about the gift of tongues? Because that's the third question here. Well, you know, in the Acts of the Apostles, it says that the people listening to the preaching uh, said about the apostles, hey, all these guys are Galileans. How come we understand them in our own language? That's in Acts chapter 2. That's the reading today. Well, the Galileans are probably speaking Aramaic, and people are understanding it in whatever language they speak, Persian or Median, Cappadocian, Asian or Egyptian, or yes, even the dialect we speak in Oro Valley. Why? Did you know that the gospel has been translated into over 1,500 languages, the Old Testament into 600, 670 languages. So portions of the gospel, the entire gospel, are in almost every language on the earth. So the point of all that is, is that this story is a prophetic statement about what's to come. The background, the Jewish background, of course, you've probably already heard, is the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Remember, they built a big tower because they're arrogant and they want to go to heaven under their own steam, just recreating this uh, sin of Adam and Eve when they grab the fruit and eat it against God's command. It's human arrogance. And, and so what's the point of all this division is just to knock down human arrogance. But in this story, God's now healing that wound. And so the fourth question is, is about the power of regeneration. How is God saving the world? Pentecost brings the Easter season to a close. So we're done with Easter until next year. Jesus' passion is death. Our death, however, isn't the end of our stories. It's not the end of the human story. Our lives, as was the life of our Lord, is ultimately ordered towards his resurrection of the dead the reunion of our soul and body as his soul and body were reunited in his resurrection. His ascension into heaven, the entry of his humanity in the life of the Trinity, the heavenly realm was not the end of salvation. The end of salvation is then he sends the Holy Spirit and we follow him in his exodus uh, from this world. And that was the uh, theology on tap about Jesus as the new Moses, our blessed ladies, the new Ark of the Covenant. This story about the Holy Spirit completing the work of salvation in the church says something essential about the triune God, why we have to pay attention to God as Trinity. Because the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that on that day, Pentecost, the Holy Trinity is fully revealed, that the cloud, the fire, the dove, revealed as the presence of God in the Holy Spirit. So Pentecost is fundamentally a Trinitarian feast. I remind you, next week we celebrate the feast of the Holy Trinity. You know, the great Saint Augustine said this about the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And this is a quote from one of his sermons. The tongues in which they spoke as the Holy Spirit filled them were a foreshadowing of the church's preaching of the gospel in the tongues of all the nations. After the flood, in pride and defiance of the Lord, 
an impious generation erected a high tower and so brought about the division of the human race into many language groups. At Pentecost, by contrast, the humble piety of believers brought all these diverse languages into the unity of the church. What discord scattered, love gathered. So you can try to bring everybody together through an empire like Rome or any of the empires of the present day. But the only way human beings will ever be healed and brought together is through the gospel. You see, the Feast of Pentecost is the Feast of Harvest. It's not the old harvest festival celebrated by the Jews, but it's the harvest of souls that Jesus talked about. And we at St. Mark were part of that harvest. That Israelite harvest feast was just a type of a present reality. And that's the work of our parish here at Oro Valley and parts of Marana. And so we are called to this loving participation in the, in the Trinity. Next week, we celebrate the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity. We're going to talk some more, and I'll see you then.